Hey, Taco Tuesday fans, this is Christian Brindle. And I am Glenn Shelton. We came together and it combined our forces to create something special for insurance agents called Taco Tuesday. Let's talk about insurance. My company, Christian Brindle Insurance Services, and my company, Lead Heroes, is here to bring you the latest and greatest news happening in the insurance industry today and eat some tacos while we do it. If you enjoy the content that we put out on this podcast, feel free to leave us a review or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Without further ado, let's get into this episode of Taco Tuesday. No, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, the name does sound familiar. We are live, by the way. Perfect time, man. I'm getting my tacos out. Taco Tuesday. And um, I feel like I've been put here on this earth to trigger the taco enthusiasts out there. You love, you love triggering. That's like your, your go-to. That's like my thing. I don't know what it is. Like, it, I don't know. Um but today, my friends, <laughs> I have something a little controversial. <laughs> I have breakfast tacos. What are breakfast tacos, you ask? <laughs> These are crepes from IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. But what it really should be is the International House of Breakfast Tacos. I like how it's fun. It looks like a breakfast quesadilla, if I'm being honest. Yeah. So I'm going to... I'm gonna put the- I'm going to quickly put the cream on the inside and all the other goodies, and then I'm going to fold it up like a taco and it's going to be, it's going to be great. I think, you know, I think the judges, can you hear me all right, by the way, is my mic too far from me? I can, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, good. Um, Guys, I was having a little trouble hearing Christian. So if, if myself or Christian, if you have any issues hearing us, please just comment below. We'd love to hear. um, So we could maybe try to fix things if there is an issue. Um, but yeah, I think the judges say if you fold it like a taco, I don't think it really matters, you know, really beyond that. If it's if it's in taco shape. <laughs> taco shape. Taco shape. Okay, so I got to not let this spill everywhere. This is a messy breakfast taco. I'm here with our sponsor today, you guys. <laughs> taco Bell. Don't need to be our sponsor. It should be our sponsor. Here's here's the neat part. Here's a little pro tip before we get into things today, you guys. Which we have some really fun stuff that we're talking about today. Um, but before we get into that, I found out on DoorDash that you can actually customize these tacos from Taco Bell. So this is a Taco Supreme. I'm not sure if you can see it, but I added onions and I added black beans to a normal hard shell taco well it's not really a normal it's a doritos locos taco so um customized talk customized tacos from taco bell what else could you possibly want (laughs) jeez so ricardo said my mic sounded loud also so i don't know if it's just you oh maybe it's me thank you ricardo christian turn the vol what about the volume or the gain on the dial try that i think i think i'm looking at it I think I'm looking at the gain on my side. I think the gain's on the other side. Yeah, I think your gain might be too high, dude. Yes, that knob. Turn it down, Christian. Okay, how's that? Any better? No. No. 
now it's getting worse (laughs) getting worse christian okay how about now actually that's significantly better i think okay okay that's good that's good i don't want to feel like i'm screaming and everybody throughout whole talk on tuesday yeah did you mess with your mic Mm -mm. i haven't touched it i don't know um so guys as I devour these breakfast tacos. How are they, by the way? Are those actually good? fantastic. Are they actually really good. good. They look really good. Someone said just stop the video. Is that because I'm is that because of my my sound or the breakfast tacos? Give me some clarity here. Yeah, it's still a little garbly. I mean I can I can communicate with you. <laughs> That's good. That's a start. We can talk. We can communicate. We're here. We're, We're still speaking the same language. Tacos, guys. All right. What if I tried this? What about now? It's significantly quieter, but it's no longer garbly. Okay. We're just removing the mic then. As much as I don't want to. Something's wrong with my mic, I think. My okay. Just exploded on me. So, guys... Today, we're talking about um, stocks and um, the, the wonderful world of Wall Street and the stock market. Um, we were, I was not sure if there would be a lot of interest for this topic in a group like this, but it seemed like there was. So we decided, screw it. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Um, Mr. Shakespeare, do you stock about it? Do you stalk or do you stonk, as the kids say? It's a great question, Christian. It's a great way to start this out. And one thing I was kind of thinking, I was kind of torn at first because like on one, I was like, is this really relevant? I'm like, is this relevant to our audience? (laughs) The more I thought about it, the more I felt like it was relevant. And I'm going to tell you why. Because on the life insurance side of the business specifically, it's very, very close to being integrated with the stock market in many different ways. You know, we can sell um, indexed products, right? We can sell an indexed annuity as a life insurance agent. We can sell an indexed universal life product, right? Mm -hmm. As a life agent. The other thing I wanted to get to today as well um, is I, I'm trying, I was trying to remember what company it was. I believe, don't quote me on this. I believe it was National Life Group, which is a gigantic life insurance company. And I believe I actually at one point got to read through kind of to their investors, how they invest the money because these life insurance companies, you guys, the way this whole system works you know, they have the underwriters who are like, okay, these people aren't going to die. Those people pay the money. The life insurance company takes the money and invests the money. So not only are they trying to make, you know, money on that premium, hopefully they're getting maybe a little profit on the premium, but then they're really an investment company and they're trying to make money taking those premiums and investing it long-term. Most of it's extremely conservative, although I found it interesting because it said about, I think it said 5% goes into um, option trading, which is something I'm a huge fan of. And at this point in today's episode, I'd like to take a minute and say, 
this is purely for entertainment purposes. Thank you. Christian and I are not licensed investors, <laughs> licensed to give financial advice. This is purely for entertainment. Um, and hopefully that's enough of a legal disclosure that we can really open the conversation up. So Christian, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I have not advanced enough to do call options. I, um, I'm not smart enough. And clearly, you know, as Glenn said, just so eloquently a second ago, um, this is just for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I have a fascination with buying individual stocks. I really, really enjoy buying individual stocks and researching companies and going through annual reports. Of course, I don't always have as much time to do that as I would like, but I, I enjoy just kind of researching and dissecting a company um, and trying to decide if I feel like it's a good long-term investment for me. And most of the stocks I bought have been when I've taken that kind of approach, you know, and I'm looking at their balance sheet, I'm looking at their debt to debt to cash ratio. I'm looking at all these different um, aspects of a, of a company. The only one that I really just got freaking smacked over the head on that I was um, Carnival Cruise Line. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, I Wait. bought that stock. I started buying into that stock. I started building a position three months before the pandemic hit. Oh, ho, ho. I bought it. Okay. I bought it at an all-time high, like 50, 60s per share. And then it dropped down to like $10 a share. Lush. So... I want to stop before we go any further. I want to stop and I do want to ask you a question. When was the first time you invested in the stock market? And tell me kind of why you did it. So the first stock I ever <coughs> bought was Ford Automotive, which I don't own anymore. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, hey, Ford's a company that I recognize. Ford's only $8 a share or something like that. I'm like, let's buy Ford. I'm like, Ford's got a dividend. Cool. And so. <laughs> What's so, a dividend for, for the, the uninformed? Can you explain what a dividend is? Yes. Um, I'm a big, big fan of dividends. I've kind of built my portfolio out to where I get dividends every single month. Some of them are small. Some of them are decent size, um, just depending on the month and what shares are paying out. But what a dividend essentially is, is um, it's, it's when a company has profits it's going to share into that profit with its investors. So it's going to send a small portion, um, usually per share. Like an example is I, 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 one of my favorite dividend stocks is um, AT&T. I love AT&T, even though they're probably not the cleanest balance sheet out there. Um, but I have like 100 shares of AT&T and it pays out, I want to say like a 54 cent dividend every quarter every three per, so you can get 54 cents per quarter per share that per you share own. yeah yeah um so when that one comes around and pays every quarter i'm right now getting about 54 bucks you know roughly um and then obviously you know the the, the idea when you're investing into dividend stocks is you want to reinvest those dividends back into the stocks and then essentially starts to snowball that's kind of the whole philosophy um it's not like bubblegum money or, you know, breakfast taco money. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so to answer your question, the first time I ever bought 
um, an individual stock. It was about a month before my daughter was born. So probably two and a half years ago, roughly, maybe, maybe two or three months before she was born, maybe two and a half years ago, roughly was the first time I ever bought a stock. Um, and why I did it was because I'm fascinated by it. Like I was fascinated by it and I wanted to learn more about it. I've taken courses since then, um, tried to educate myself. I've spent a lot of time studying it. Um, I'm now starting to invest more and more into like index funds, you know, S&P 500 index funds or something like that. Cause I feel like those are just super easy and they don't require a whole lot of my time like the individual stocks do, but yeah. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's a small passion of mine. Yeah. Um, so my story, you guys, when I first got in, it was right about, I was very, very young. I was like 19. Ooh. Okay. It was right. It was right when, and, and like uh, the interesting part about this story is the stock market, in my opinion, it's like all about timing. Arguably you could say life is all about timing, right? Like, um, and a side tangent on that. And I think I've even mentioned this on the podcast before there was this Ted talk where someone went through like 200 different companies, a hundred startups and a hundred companies that have been established for like a hundred years. And the number one factor that they attributed to these companies success was just the timing of the market. Um, and they went through a bunch of different specific businesses where, you know, someone had a great idea, but their timing was wrong. Even mm. if their execution was good, the market just wasn't ready for it. So I got lucky when I first got into the market and it was right at the bottom of the recession, um, which when you mentioned Ford being like sub $5, that was, <laughs> it, you know, I remember Ford <laughs> being like a dot, like all these crazy, like if you could go back, it's February, 2009, I think. February 2009, the stock market was just at a bottom. And I had never bought shares. I had never done anything at this point. I decided to jump into some stock options, even though I don't understand fully how it works. And I decided to buy Citigroup because Ooh. Citigroup, you know, again, major financial player. If the market swings, most likely Citigroup's going to swing with it, you know, if the economy starts to improve. Um, and at the time it was almost a thousand dollars, which, you know, was like literally like every penny I had at the time. And what I did is I, I put, you know, I put some money in, it went down. I was like, damn it. I put more money in cause I'm trying to average it down. You guys, I'm trying to take my cost, even though the stock goes down, you know, I buy more. So now I'm at a lower entry point point. then it goes down again and I buy more. And I did that like three or four times. till I got to a thousand bucks and the thing with stock options is they expire. You can't just hold on to stock options forever. Stock options have a limited time window when they can be used. And if you get to zero and you haven't sold them or they're not in the money and you execute them, they're worthless. And it's like a week from these stocks, from the options I bought expiring, they're expiring in a week. So I'm about to go to zero in a week and have nothing. And then all of a sudden the market turned and I did like 600% on what I had put in. And, and I've more or less been chasing that high, I'd say, ever, ever since that happened. Um, and the reality is that's not a normal situation at all. To, to get a 600% return in, you know, like a 60-day window, like that's, 
it's that's just not the the normal you know normal type of return that you're gonna see in the market right you know what you're doing even if you're an expert you know it's it's interesting because that time period like what warren buffett always says be greedy when everyone else is fearful and fearful when everyone else is greedy right so like that time period in a 2008 2009 and then even what we saw last year during the pandemic was some of the best times ever to buy stocks like you couldn't miss (laughs) and um like I was buying a bunch of Disney last year, like in March or and maybe yeah. it was like, and, and I, I was buying Disney shares in the low nineties or, you know, high eighties, the share, the stock's almost 200 a share today. Yeah, I was like, that's, you know, I was like, you double, if you still held it, if you didn't paper hand it, you got to double your money, dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't sold one share of Disney. Um, and like my story about, about carnival, it kind of, um, goes hand in hand with what you were just saying about buying shares when they dip to lower your cost per acquisition, right? So what I did when Carnival went down to like $8 a share, I bought like a ton of more shares. <laughs> and, <laughs> there you go. And my cost per acquisition was like at 60 almost. And by the time I sold it, it was down to like 23. And I sold it at, I sold it at 22 and I barely lost anything. Probably should have held longer, but okay. Probably so. Probably so. But I was, I was done with this stock. I was done with this stock. Exit, exit, exit. But um, one stock that I, okay, I had a question for you. Is there a stock that you bought early and sold that you regret selling? I have, I have one in mind, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, and it actually correlates with John's question. John just said, let's cut to the chase. Who's still diamond handing AMC and, and GME? So <laughs> I have in the last 60 days, I have traded both of these stocks and I've made money on both of these stocks. Um, I bought GME and GME is GameStop for those again, who don't know, which has had just this crazy start of the year with, you know, all of these retail investors, the small guys, just like Christian and I, who have looked at buying shares and have, you know, caused the price to increase things. So much has happened. We're not going to take the time to kind of recap all of that, but yeah, um, GameStop spiked. I buy not at the top, but I bought on the way up. And then um, after they like halted trading on the stock and the stock went way down. um, And then I kind of did the same thing. Like I averaged it down. And I, I really believed it would go back up. I didn't know how high it would go back up. Um, and, you know, it cost me thousands and thousands of dollars that I unloaded it. Like three, like if I had waited like three days, yeah. I had waited, like I made, and again, I, I made money. I profited on the trade. So I really shouldn't be upset yeah. because I'm still, you know, profit is profit. Who cares? But right. I had waited three days, it would have been multiple thousands of dollars different in my profit. So that's, that's just a recent example of, of selling too soon. So I did not get involved with the GME AMC stocks. And I kind of wish I did because it was so exciting to watch from afar. But um, one stock that comes to mind for me is it was November or so of 2019 And I started getting super interested in electric car stocks. And this was before Tesla started to spike up. I didn't ever buy any Tesla stock. 
What I did buy was Neo stock. And it was about a dollar a share back then, dollar fifty a share maybe. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Neo, Neo is an electric car company that's basically they call themselves the Tesla of China. Yeah, I'm familiar. And from and and I I, I bought I think a hundred to two hundred shares somewhere in there, and um, didn't spend just spent a couple hundred bucks, and I. I, I decided that I went through, was going through their balance sheets one night and um, they didn't have any revenue. Like it was, it was something that it just spooked me, you know, like it looked like they might go bankrupt or something like Tesla was moving a factory into China. And I thought I was like, Oh, I'm like, they're done. I'm like, they're going to get crushed. And um, <laughs> since then the, the, the stock price has gone like up to $50 plus a share. And um that's one that I lose sleep at a night about because that would have been a huge profit. Those technology companies are tough. Yeah. Really tough because the evaluations are made up. Yeah. They're just pie in the sky. Yeah. They're like, Hey, we're worth 10 billion because we think five years from now, we're going to have 80% of the market. Like <laughs> it's yeah. just like pure speculation. You have no idea what's going to happen. I want to live in that world. Um, five years from now, Christian Bruno Insurance Services is going to be bigger than Integrity. Now, give me, <laughs> give me hundred million dollars in. Um, we're doing an A. We're doing a Series A round. Um, we're doing a Series A with a, a value of two billion. <laughs> Who would like to invest? Yeah. What, what is your, what is your profits? We won't have profits until two, until five years from now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm personally taking all the profits for the next all five prof- years. Um, all the profits go to me. <laughs> we're basically a nonprofit in, in many ways. Um, Tracy, shout out. What's going on, <coughs> man? Uh, he wants to talk crypto, which is a great segue potentially here. This is where all my liquid cash goes. All, alter- all alternative coins. Crypto is a tough one for me. Um, you know, again, flashback to about a decade ago or even long, it was probably like 12 years. There's been so many times where I could have entered the crypto market in a big way. And I just, it was like just a touch over my head. Like I understood how it worked. I understood the value. I'd even used it, like done some small transactions kind of for fun just to see how it worked. But I never really understood what the long-term potential could be. And so that one stings because... If I had earlier, obviously fishes were wishes, but if I had gotten in earlier and, and just just hell, I mean, I, I could have made some real catch there. Are you in crypto right now, Christian? Not at all. And um, I I don't know. I feel like I'm afraid. You're embarrassed afraid. to say that, aren't you? Um, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I was heavily looking at buying a couple of Bitcoins about at the same time I got into stocks two and a half years ago. It had dropped down to about four or five grand a coin. Bitcoin did. And I was like, okay, I'm like, you know, I think it was a year, two years before that, it was up to 20, you know, or three years before that, something like that. I mean, it had kind of everyone that looked like at the, the time, people had thought that it peaked. A lot of people did. And um, it was starting to go back down. I was like, okay, I might buy a couple, you know, and, and kind of see where this takes me. But I, I decided not to do it. I don't know what it was. I just got spooked, you know, and um, I mean, 
and I'm the same way. There's been several times that I've looked at buying some crypto or a Bitcoin here, a Bitcoin there. And um, to see where it's at today, I mean, I'm, I'm upset at myself, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> so um, I know this is kind of, we just started talking about crypto. I, I'm kind of in the same, but like I've, I've, I'm still on the sideline. The closest recently I've come was uh, Elon Musk talking about Doge. Is it Doge or Dogecoin? Dogecoin, Dogecoin, whatever. Yeah. When he started pumping it and everyone was like, it's going to, they're going to talk about it in a Super Bowl ad. Like, and everyone's like, it's going to go up to $10 a coin. That's the closest I've been to actually getting into the crypto scene recently. And especially like an investment sense. I think I have a very small account somewhere with, with a small number of coins, but um, to flip back to some of the more conservative, like you mentioned um, doing more index investing. Again, that's kind of a more conservative strategy. You don't have to think about it as much. Um, if the market moves, your money moves and it's, it's kind of a safer bet. Um, what is, and this is a question for everybody, not just Christian. If anybody has the answer, I'd love to hear you in the comments below. Um, but what is the highest annuity return percentage that you have ever heard of? Because someone just told me a number a few weeks ago and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, there's annuities that give you that. I'm like, why am I throwing? I'm like, I should just get an annuity right now. If that's the case, like yeah. I'll just start chunking cash in there. Yeah, for sure. Like for me, now, granted, it's not my wheelhouse at all. So don't crucify me, people. If I'm completely pitch, like pork, way pitch, off, pork, like pitch, you're going to come after me for breakfast tacos first. And then, <laughs> um, but like, I've, I've always heard that a good return for an annuity was like seven, eight, nine percent, something like that, you know? Um, <clears throat> and then I know like some of the fixed ones are, you know, 2%, right? Things like that. Um Think I, and and that's what I've always heard about annuities. So you're you're talking about a, a variable annuity, or are you talking about an index? What when you say seven eight nine percent, what type of annuity is that? I have no idea. I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know. We got them. That from people. We got them, guys. People. Wrap it up. I yeah. So the number that was quoted to me recently was seven percent, and they this person <laughs> acted like it was like a guaranteed seven percent. They didn't go into details about whether it was variable or indexed or fixed, but they acted like 7% is a very conservative number for an annuity. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really high. Like in my head, I thought an annuity was like maybe, you know, four, five, 6%. I've, I am so far removed from annuities at this point. It's been a long time since I've looked at them. So I really can't speak to them. Um, you read that comment from Tracy? Yes. Put in the... Wow. Tracy said, read it. Tracy said, I saw a deferred index, a uh, fixed indexed in an annuity do 33% a few years ago. That's ridiculous. That's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> well, and the beautiful part about a lot of those, um, I did, I sold more IULs as an agent than I ever sold annuities. But with those IULs, the beautiful part is there was usually a fixed floor. So you had all that upside potential of the market taking off. 
you know, they kind of capped you at both ends. So if the market really exploded, you would lose out because I think there was a cap at like 12% or the, I don't know. There was some sort of cap on it, if I remember correctly. Um, and then the, you know, you have a floor where you're guaranteed two or 4% in, in the products, you guys, they vary considerably between carriers and companies. So, you know, one carrier might have a certain product that another carrier does not. And they also like to kind of change things around, but um, you know, if you're, you know, we're in six figure Medicare agent, right? So, you know, if the goal is to earn an income of six figures, a hundred thousand dollars, if you took uh, $2 million and you put it into an annuity that's returning 7% and you're taking that out monthly, I mean, that's 140,000 a year, you guys, you're well past six figures and it's only 2 million. And some people might be listening to this and they're like, Glenn, I don't have 2 million. I don't have 2 million liquid sitting around either. I get that. But <laughs> the idea is, is that if you get to the point where you are liquid 2 mil, or you're looking at trying to put 2 million somewhere, you could put it in an annuity and do very, very well. Silac, the new equitable life and casualty. Interesting. I'm just reading the, the comment there from Tracy. We need to have Tracy on here, by the way, Tracy. We need to get you on a talk yeah, about dude. here soon, brother. Tracy's done two, <clears throat> not one, but two Everything Medicare podcast episodes with me um, about this stuff. And it's always a good time, you know, to talk to Tracy. Tracy's the man. The man. Yeah, for lucky. For lucky. Like on the first cocktail party, Tracy will have a board behind him with his goals on it. And we'll, we'll be able to try to decipher. <laughs> I remember that. I remember the whiteboard. Yes. <laughs> um, um, so what, what, so do you, Glenn, yes. do you, are you buying individual stocks right now? I am. What I are am. some that you're liking? So a stock that I like, that's kind of been all over the place. So I think the cannabis market, you guys, has a huge growth trajectory. I, you know, 10 years ago, I told everyone, I'm like, guys, when I watched these states slowly start legalizing cannabis, I just, there's going to be this break point where not necessarily every state will legalize it, but we're, we're almost already at, you know, there's legal marijuana in the majority of states, whether that's medical legal cannabis, or we're talking about, you know, recreational legal cannabis. So I'm a huge believer. And we also have a more liberal government right now. Again, for better, or for worse, regardless of what your political beliefs are, when we're just talking about dollars and cents here, we have a more liberal government. We have marijuana reform at an all-time high where all whenever I see anything talked about, it's like 60 or 70% of individuals are, are for some type of legal form of cannabis, medical and or recreational. Um, there's already been senators that have come out and talked about it. There's a spike in January. And if you look at, so the, the stock that I'm actually in right now, um, it's SNDL, uh, which... I'm blanking on the actual name of the company right now. I can tell you the ticker. SNDL. I'm blanking on the name. Growers. Yes. SNDL Growers. They already have a. They already have a a footprint. I think they do a lot. Um, 
and the stock's crazy cheap, you guys. It's like a buck a share. So, you know, for me, it's one of those things where I can I can buy a fair amount of shares and the risk is relatively low. You know, I, I, I can have a thousand shares for a thousand bucks. And if it takes off, awesome. You know, if if we get, you know, imagine if Democrats pass a national cannabis reformation in during this term with a majority democratic government a stock like that could go 10x in value they've already got a footprint they already have distribution um and now they get to just you know basically pour gas on it and they could take off so that's one example of a stock i've traded recently um i'd love to hear from you christian what's a stock that you've gotten into recently so, um, when, so I, I was in another stock called um, Apple, Apple Hospitality, not Apple Apple, but Apple Hospitality. It was a REIT stock. And um, it was big in the hotel scene for like travel and things like that. I started to get into that <clears throat> maybe about, I don't know, eight months before COVID happened. And then COVID happened and it got decimated. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> They stopped paying, and, and what I liked about those REIT stocks is they paid out a monthly dividend, a lot of them, like not a quarterly dividend, but a monthly dividend. So I, I, I kind of like that. This one was paying like a seven, eight percent dividend or something like that at the time. And um, it would it did really well for ever since I got into it. And then um, it got up to the point where, you know, I was breaking even on it. I, I dumped it and then I rolled the shares into another one called Realty Income that does a little bit more diversified real estate. Like they rent to a lot of Walgreens stores, retailers and things like that. And they do, they do a lot of different things. And um, that's what I'm into right now. They're paying a 4.54% dividend on a monthly basis. And so I like that stock. Um, I like, cause I I feel like real estate stocks are very safe, right? Like what's going to happen to real estate. We all need a place to live. We all need a place to like businesses need a place to do business. I, I feel like it's real estate stocks are a very safe investment long term, and there's only going to be more of a demand for it as the population grows. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I I'm I, I bought um, CVS stock actually. That's a good recently, one. and um, it's because I'm I'm just a big fan of what they do as a company. I I like how they're very diversified in the health industry, like. And what I mean by that is like in so many places, they're now having clinics within their pharmacies, in their stores, like they want to own the medical market, they want to own this, the pharmacy market, they now own Aetna. So they're odd, they're instantly in the top five health insurance space. Um, in the Medicare side, group health insurance, and um, they already had silver script before that in the Part D side. So yeah. I, I, they, they got their hands in so many things, but they all tie back together in the health insurance space. So I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a bit, I'm a fan of the company. I like CVS. I think that's a great one. One that I'm really heavy on right now that I got into before their earnings last week is actually FedEx. Ooh. Um, with everything that's kind of transitioned to this e-commerce model with COVID, <coughs> um, the, the tough part with this stock, which the, the ticker is FDX, you guys, if you're wanting to look at, look at it, um, there's a lot of speculation that they're going to lose revenue if the economy does go to a full recovery. I don't buy into that. I love FedEx. 
And the funny part is, is I just had to ship something the other day and I used FedEx and they picked it up right from my house. I literally set it on my porch with the label on it. They picked it up. They took it um, there. When you're talking about like balance sheets, I went pretty deep into FedEx's financial history, especially after that earnings report. I really dug into it. The, um, the books are clean, you guys, from what I saw. I mean, you've got the debt ratio is, is very low. Um, the number of like, it's, it's like a hundred billion in assets, less than 20 billion in debt. Um, they're do, they had their biggest quarter in history last quarter. It was like, and this is despite a huge issue with the winter storm that happened. So, um, headquarters for FedEx is in Tennessee, you know, the winter storm hits, and they get just nuked for a couple of weeks where, you know, a lot of business just packages aren't moving. And so despite that, they still did over 21, almost 22 billion in a quarter. Um, so I'm, I'm just super bullish. And then you have the post office, which has become this like political nightmare where, you know, people want to dismantle it. They want to charge more for it. They want to privatize it. I don't care, but I look at FedEx and I feel like, again, this is a great bet for the future. And, and even if COVID goes away magically tomorrow, we're habitual people. We're, we're humans. We're going to probably e-commerce. It was always on this trajectory anyways. COVID just like hockey sticked it where people were forced to use it. Right. But it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to go away. We're not going to just, not everyone tomorrow is going to roll back to Walmart. Like this is the new future for sure is e-commerce shifting to and from your house, people don't want to go to the store. When do you feel like a blue chip stock is is at its peak and it's not a good value anymore? That's a good question. And the thing, and it's funny you mention that because I got into Disney recently. Oh, wow. um, and I'm jealous because you got into Disney at the right time. Yeah. I got into Disney a little bit later. But I'm super bullish on Disney. I, when you look at um, when you look at the value of content, and you look at the sort of content that Disney owns, Star Wars, Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Disney Plus was a smashing success. Invest. Uh, what what is that one called? National Geographic. National Geographic. Um, I think ESPN. Don't yeah, they? Own, yeah. yeah, dude, they own everything. They, they, they own they, everything. You they guys. have the controlling interest in Hulu now. <laughs> no, dude, Disney owns every. So um, I actually lost yeah. money on my Disney trade just because the timing was bad recently, but I could care less. I really see, I think the values there, um, the long-term value. And I think that's part of it too. Is like, you have to know, like when you get into a stock, are you trying to trade this in a week, in a month? Are you like, I'm just going to sit on this for five years and see what happens. So with a blue chip stock like that, it's hard to lose, you know? And I'm the same way I looked at FedEx. I'm like, I, I could hold on to this for five years. and I would be shocked if this goes down, you know, despite a global catastrophe, knock on wood, you know, um, overvaluation. I, I don't on a blue. I feel like those blue chips that like you mentioned AT&T earlier. I mean, I'm sure you can tear into the financials and you could say, Oh, this valuation is to their 20. They're trading 20 X on their, on their profit. This isn't realistic. Like you could really tear into it, but um, 
it's tough because there's so much speculation. It's, it's almost, you know, people are almost more guessing where it's going and they care less about where it's at today. That's what I feel like. Yeah. hundred percent. Like another one. So like when I first started buying Disney was before the pandemic, when I actually first started buying, I was just buying a few shares and I, it was like three months before they were going to release Disney plus, but I was listening to the earnings calls and stuff and they were talking about it coming and their expectations for it. And I was like, and, and just like you very accurately said, I was looking at everything they own, like they own media, they own, they own Fox, they own, they own like, Fox. I don't know if it's like Fox News Fox, but they own Fox, like the channel Fox, right. like, um, I didn't, I didn't know that one. They own uh, ESPN, they own, um, like you said, you know, Marvel, Star Wars, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on. There's a, like, there's a crazy YouTube video about everything that Disney owns. It's like a 25 minute video. It just goes and goes and goes. And um, so I, I felt like that was just a no brainer, but like. We did, I, and we didn't even mention the theme parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we didn't the even mention park. the theme, but we were just talking content right there. I mean, all the yeah. Disney classics, you know, um, <laughs> dude, here's an, I just watched with my kids the newest Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, I need to see that. It was fantastic, dude. <laughs> it's a completely original content. There, This was not from anywhere but Disney. They created this content, and it, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> so so you have this company. Not only do they own all of this proven content that they can continue to evergreen, which they are crushing with Star Wars and Marvel right now. They've totally evergreen both of these huge content providers then they're still pumping out original content that they're just making up i mean it's insane it's it's crazy like they have done such a good job with star wars and marvel it's unbelievable um and the amount of money they've been able to make off of those two brands alone like they have disney cruises they have um there's one that was on the top of my head that i was thinking about too that we forgot to mention they have um they just have they have a lot point blank um but the reason why i ask is because not because so much of disney for me because i i got in at a good place like my average cost per share is 110 for disney right now because i was buying before that and then um my really cheap shares brought down my my average cost but um i recently bought into apple like the apple apple i put like a grand into it i don't know i'm like you know, reading up about it, a lot of experts were saying that it's too late for to 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 really make any gains with Apple. But I also, but I was looking at it like this is the safest investment I think I can make right now, or one of them. I think I look at Apple a lot the same way I look at Disney. They have such a big ecosystem at this point. <clears throat> you know, I'm looking at my freaking statements every month, and I've got like more than a hundred dollars it seems like going out every single month to <laughs> apple you know and i'm just and so you know i think about that and i'm like okay i'm probably not alone there's probably a lot of people who are just chunking out money every single month when they switched iphones to payment plans you know they essentially jacked the price of the iphone up and they're like listen we understand you can't pay two grand for a phone we're just going to give it to you and you're going to pay us $200. Yeah. I'm like, that's dude. I'm, I think they're genius. I really do. I love Tim cook. Me too. 
I've read a ton about Tim Cook. I think Steve couldn't have left the company in better hands with Tim Cook. He took their supply chain from two to three weeks. So when uh, before Tim Cook got in at Apple, and if you don't know, I'm a huge Apple fanboy, so I'm going to apologize for the, the tangent here. But before Tim Cook came in as COO, he, the supply chain, when you bought an iPhone at an Apple store, it took almost two and a half to three weeks. I think sometimes even a month to get the phone from the factory in China all the way to the store. Somehow Tim Cook comes in with supply chain management strategies and he takes that time down to two or three days, two or three days, <laughs> uh, which is insane. And if you, it, and it saves you so much money when you can do that because you're never going to be caught holding the bag. If you know that when a phone gets bought in two to three days, a new phone's coming to replace it, you're never going to have a glut of inventory. So I love Apple. I love Tim Cook. I think Apple, again, one of those companies, next hundred years, not going anywhere. I I agree. And I am also a big, big Apple fanboy. I'm a big Steve Jobs fan. I love Tim Cook. I have a big, I have a big, I have a picture of Steve Jobs in my office. And um, and he's it's 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 a very nice picture. It's like, you know, there's a picture of him at when he was first creating Apple, you know, when he had the, the shag and everything, and he's holding up an apple and it's a painting. It's not a photograph. It's like a painting. And then there's a picture behind him as of his older self. It's all, you know, and, um, you know, it, it stares me everywhere I go in my office, the eyes follow. It's one of those pictures. And, um, <laughs> but that's how I wanted it. You know, it makes me yeah. feel like he's judging me if I don't do what I need to do. But no, just kidding. But I'm, I'm a big, big Apple fan, big Steve Jobs fan. I've read tons of books about Steve Jobs. I've watched tons of documentaries. I'm, I'm just, you know, I think, I think he's one of the goats of entrepreneurship. Oh man. His story is just a classic. I've, I've read, uh, did you ever read the Walter Isaacs, Isaacson, his, his biography? A huge white book, right? Yeah. 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 I have it in my office. I read the whole thing. Yeah. I couldn't put that book down when I got it just an absolute insane story when you watch him go from creating apple to getting ousted from apple mm-hmm. to creating a new company to selling the new company back to apple to coming in and taking apple back over when it was at this moment of peril and and just taking it to the next level. i mean highly recommend it you guys even if you're not yeah. into investing or into apple it's a great incredible story it just doesn't it seems like fiction it really does it yeah. seems like a made-up story you would never think it's real and like they kick him out of apple because they feel like he's spending too much money they don't like it they don't the, the board doesn't like all his decision making they they bring in uh what's this guy what's the other guy's name the, the, the guy that the guy that took over for him, the Pepsi guy, I can't remember his name. Um, I can't remember the name right now either. But anyway, he, he comes in and um, John Scally, that's his name. Mm. He comes in and they they oust him, put him in charge. He only lasts a couple of years. He's gone. They go through like three or four CEOs. Yep. They're months away from bankruptcy. Yep. And um, he sells next his new company to Apple. They acquire, the, they absorb the company. He becomes like the interim CEO, turns it around, and then he's permanent CEO, you know. Um, ridiculous story, you know. And um, I'm just a huge, huge fan as well, along with you there. Um, 
Another stock that I am pretty deep in is Facebook. Controversial one, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But I but I but I haven't bought it recently. I bought it at my average cost right now is two hundred and one dollars a share. It was funny you mentioned Facebook because when I was at the doctor the other day and I mentioned stocks to my doctor, he said that he is not, he's like, it's a casino. That was what he said, which I thought was hilarious. And I love, I love telling people, sir, this is a casino. And so when he said that I was dying laughing, but he said the one stock that he owns a ton of is Facebook. And he said when it IPO'd pretty early on, he dumped a ton of money into Facebook stock. So um, I don't own Facebook stock. I kind of don't know what I think about the future of Facebook, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it going away either. I mean, it's kind of like Disney. Disney buys up all of these competitors and like-minded mm -hmm. businesses. I don't see Zuckerberg, you know, if Clubhouse becomes the powerhouse it is, I could see Zuckerberg saying, here's 10 billion. And they're like, no, we don't want your money. Here's a hundred billion. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's clubhouse. Take our clubhouse. Like, like Zuckerberg has more money than God. Like he has access to who's, who wouldn't finance that acquisition. Even if the numbers didn't make sense at all, they would still finance, you know, that type of acquisition. Yeah. I mean, Instagram was what a billion at the time. And they're saying that it was just an absolute steal. I, I remember when Facebook bought WhatsApp, like 2016, I think, I think 19 billion, I think. Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg came out the next day and said, I stole the company. <laughs> I the stole Zuck, the company. Baby! Yeah, like 19 billion, whatever it was like, um, and Insta, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like Instagram's far more valuable than WhatsApp. Oh, for well, the idea is that messenger apps yeah. are really the future. Um, so I see the value in both. Also, I think WhatsApp is more of a nat, like a global play. There's a lot of third world countries and just different places around the world that use WhatsApp. Here in the States, I just don't see the what it's not being used like it is elsewhere. Yeah. So but that's hilarious. I didn't know he said that. I stole the company. It, it, it was something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing, but that was basically what he said. He's like, he's like, he's like, we got such a good deal. I felt like we stole it, you know, like, and, and, and everyone was like, what are you talking about? You paid $19 billion for this, this company. And um, maybe, he was, maybe he was just trying to make his investors feel good about the amount of money he just spent because it was such a freaking ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Like I, I look at them as a company that like, I, I look at a couple of companies and I, I try to decide if I want to put them in the too big to fail camp. I'd put Apple in there. I'd put Disney in there. Too big to fail. Costco. Costco. Costco's yeah. in there for me. I'm in Costco. Amazon's there at this point, I'm sure. Google. Um, I don't know who can afford Amazon stock. If you can. Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> I don't can, have any Amazon know. stock. I've looked at it before, but I'm like, yeah. do I really want to pay that much per share? I'm not so sure. Um, Alibaba, probably too big to fail. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, there, there's just a couple of these companies that, like, unless they royally screw up something, 
like royally, they're probably going to be powerhouses for the next, you know, at least couple of decades, and if not way longer than that, you know, maybe longer than all of us are even here. I mean, um, so that I've, I've, I've invested into companies like that, but I'm trying to get better at spotting companies on the up and coming. Cause that's not what I'm, I'm not, that's something I'm not very as good at. I'm trying to like see where they're going to be like with Neo. I got it right with Neo. And then I, I analysis paralysis Neo. And then I got screwed by selling Neo, you know? So like, I, I need to get better at those up and coming ones. So one that's up and coming that I've traded recently is called Microvision. Um, and they specialize in LIDAR. And while LIDAR traditionally sounds like something that's on a plane or a satellite, like, and it's not, or even potentially on a vehicle, um, the way technology is evolving is these newest devices, the newest smartphones will have LIDAR technology built in and um, I have the newest iPhone and I, and there's some sort of LIDAR technology in it. I think it's, I think it's kind of rudimentary. I don't think it's very evolved or advanced quite yet. Um, right. But the, the idea of how something like this could benefit, you know, someone like me or, or an average Joe, you could take your phone and just kind of flip it around the room and using LIDAR, it can essentially map the entire space. It can tell you where the ceiling's at, where the floor is like, you think about that type of technology for someone like a builder, like a home builder or, you know, a contractor, you're able to just go in and just flip yeah. your phone around and you've got the whole room in your phone now mapped out. Like, I think there's a lot that could happen there. And, and with Microvision specifically, there's been chatter about potential acquisition by Microsoft. So um, that's one that's a little less known that I'm bullish on. Um, what I'd like to do, though, it's kind of transition from individual stocks. Yeah. I have a question for you. So something I don't understand entirely. We just pumped $2 trillion essentially into the economy, right? Right. Yeah, buckle. I know. You're like, you're like, uh-oh. Like, Where's my seatbelt? <laughs> Oof. Click. Like, how does it not create an environment where the stocks are going to go up? If we are juicing the economy with that much cash, now again, I understand inflation. I understand being scared about the dollar losing value. Um, but overall, again, like I was saying, I'm, I'm very bullish. So the, sh my, the short answer, in my opinion, is it, 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 there's, it's, it's impossible for it not to. And if you mentioned inflation a second ago, all that it does is it essentially moves our inflation forward five to 10 years early on schedule to me, you know, like, and, and so it's not just stocks we'll see go up everything, you know, bread, eggs, milk, gas, you know, it'll, it'll all see an up, an uptick. And that's why like, you know, a lot of people don't like Grant Cardone. I'm a, I'm a huge Grant Cardone fanboy. Everybody knows this, but <laughs> I think there's a lot of wisdom in what he says when he talks about investing, he says cash is trash because it's, especially now with all this, you know, trillions of dollars being thrust into the economy um, and then printing money like they are, our, our inflation is sped up. The value keeps going down faster and faster and faster. 
And it's better instead of having your money in the bank where it's just getting essentially like you're losing money because it's becoming less valuable, have it in assets, spend it, spend it, spend it on investments and put it somewhere where it can continue to grow. And I, so I, I feel like stocks is a vehicle for that because like you said, you know, it's going to cause the stocks to inflate in costs. And um, just like everything else, will, I just don't see any way around it. It might not happen tomorrow, but it's around the corner. Yeah, I've I've dug really deep into this because it's something that I, I'm not an economist. I don't have, you know, some sort of big financial degree. And I think the reality is, is that even some of the most qualified people, you know, we're doing stuff that's never happened before. So how can you really tell like, how can you predict what what's going to happen right. if an event happens that's never happened? I mean, we've printed like I don't know what the number is now. Last year, it was like 37% of all the cash we've ever printed yeah. was yeah, printed yeah. in 2020. That's terrifying. It's insanity. <laughs> it's it's pure insanity. And, and to take that number, and now here we are, we're dumping another $2 trillion in. And then I'm hearing talks about even more money getting dumped in around the corner. Um, I I don't understand how it can't cause inflation. Now, devil's advocate, the people who say that we're going to avoid inflation, the argument that I've heard is as long as the dollar has somewhere to go, we don't have to be concerned. That it, it will be volatile. It'll move. We might lose, you know, some value. But, you know, if we're, if we're, if the money goes to a company, for example, like the PPP loans, and it's able to, you know, get paid back or it benefits the economy because the company's able to keep going, whatever. That's an example where the money has a positive traction in the economy and basically saying that if the dollar has nowhere to go and everyone's just sitting on oodles of cash, that's when you get like that, that flash inflation, like we've seen in South America where you're paying a million dollars for a loaf of bread because that money has no value. Um, the scary part is a lot of these countries use the American dollar to back their economies. So I think if it happens, it'll probably be a domino effect. You'll see like a, a major economy overseas change. Maybe they're, maybe they're backing their dollar with Bitcoin. They're not backing their dollar with the U.S. dollar anymore. Tesla just took on what? two billion in bitcoin to put yeah. on the ledge i mean who knows who knows what could happen so i i'm I, I see both sides of it on one hand we might be printing our way to our destruction on the other hand this cash infusion might cause the market to literally especially if covid recovers in a significant way which i believe it will we might see just a rocket take off. Yeah, I, I, I'm more bullish than I am bearish on where the economy's at right now. If you gave me a picture of what the market looks like in September, October 2021, I would like to think we're doing well. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see a correction that's happening that quickly. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think you make a lot of good points. And I think it's true. I mean, I feel like in the next 
30 to 60 days or so, I think we're going to see a significant um, pullback of COVID restrictions in a lot of places. I think that will cause a spike in, in terms of not, 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 not spike in cases, but spike in, um, you know, the S and P 500 shooting up and, you know, and the, the Dow and, you know, we'll see the stock market really start to thrive. I think at that point, I think it's recovered nicely, you know, already compared to where it was a year ago. I mean, a year ago today, it was like as low as it's been since 2008, you know? And, um, I think it's already recovered fairly nicely. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think it'll be interested to see how that, how it goes. And, but I think there's a strong possibility that you're right about that. The, the other big question mark for me too, is the real estate market in the, as we saw in 2008, the real estate market is so closely tied to the economy. If the real estate market <laughs> explodes, even if everything else is going well, we know what that ripple effect can look like, right? So right. Um, with these moratoriums that are still in place in many states where people can literally be squatting in their homes, not paying, and governors have come out, again, for better or for worse, we're already here, it's already happened. There is a certain number of people that have been just sitting in their home for 14 months, 13 months, and they might have lost their income and they haven't made a single house payment. What happens? What happens when the moratorium gets lifted and this per are they going to evict all these people? Are they going to forgive all this money? What happens if, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's what I'm like. There's so many, what it like, yeah. there's so many ways that I, it could go either way. <laughs> you know, I don't, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think about the real estate market though? I think the real estate market is crazy right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I, I just refinanced my house, for example. Yeah. And I, they waived my appraisal, which I was like, okay. And That's then crazy. Um, and then um, crazy. I'm like, okay. You know, um, and it cut off like $460 a month on my mortgage payment. I had to put nothing down, nothing. I'm closing on Thursday. Like I'm signing the papers on Thursday. Like I have not paid anything, you know? <laughs> and um, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know if that would have happened a year ago or two years ago. No. You know, like, no way. and so I feel like there's a lot of that going on. Like, how do they know my house isn't beat to shit? They don't, you know? Um, no, and my house is not beat to shit, by the way. <laughs> but, Violet has shit all over your house. It's worth yeah. nothing. It's everywhere. It's on the walls. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but like the market is just so insane to where like they're granting things and making promises that have not been made in a long time, or at least, you know, or at least ever in some situations. And so like, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think that that is an incredibly um, relevant domino that we're going to have to keep an eye on because i mean that that domino could fall and it could kind of i mean we've like you said we've seen how that can impact other things and these these breakfast tacos i don't know i don't know about them what do you mean you don't know you know all about them i ate one and it was delicious and now it's upsetting my stomach so tell, moral of the story, don't eat breakfast tacos. This is going to be the thumbnail right here.
Um, yeah, I, uh, what was there was this book I was reading. I'm gonna check my phone because it was a audio book. It was specifically recently published, talking about inflation versus deflation. Again, on this topic of the economy and how it all works. Um, and I'm not quite done with it, but from what I have heard, I thought it was excellent. Um, Because basically the, to give you like the too long, you didn't read it. Inflation works when it's strategically done. When that, when you're inflating the economy by two or 3%, and you have those people who own assets like a house and your assets are able to increase by two or 3%. And especially if your income can keep up with inflation or beat inflation, it can actually work for everybody. But the, the problem is it doesn't always work for everybody. And there's a lot of people, especially in today's society who don't own assets. And so that's where a lot of this wealth gap comes from. You have the people who own assets, who are, who are happy about a certain amount of inflation. And you have the other class where income has been stagnant and they don't own assets and that inflation is causing their income. Not only have they not grown their income line, but now their dollars buying less. And so the, the argument that the book was making is that we need deflation. We, we need people who you know make an average wage here in the US they need to be able to take their dollar and buy more it's almost like giving them a raise if if there's a kind of a deflationary effect but i don't know again yeah. this is all entertainment you guys i'm that's right that's right we are we are not um certified licensed Stock experts, whatever you would want to call it, uh, financial planners, financial security advisors, yeah, no securities licenses here. Um, just entertainment purposes only, you guys. So <clears throat> we're getting to about a little bit over an hour here, and I wanted to essentially kind of close close this episode out because I yeah. thought like, it was incredibly interesting and. Yeah, time kind of flew by because it was a great conversation. Um, any final thoughts on 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 this topic on investing in the stock market and our crazy country we live in? Man, there's a lot. I mean, we talked about so much. <laughs> we really did. Yeah. Um, I think even if you think it's not relevant to you, I, I think there's so much relevancy to the topic. Like I mentioned, you know, your clients, and I was going to talk about this, we've already kind of covered it, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about, again, the direct application of what you do as a Medicare agent to the stock market, because there's a ton of agents out there, whether they have a variable license or they don't have a variable license, whether they have their series six and 63 or they don't, there's a ton of agents that I know and that we work with where they are cross-selling these financial products to their Medicare clients. So even if you're, you know, if you listen to this whole episode and you get to the end and you're like, that was fun, but not applicable to me, 
I would say you're, you're completely wrong. Um, you should be watching this, even if you're not investing, because it is important to you and it is important to your insurance clients. And uh, dip your toe in the water, try it out, throw some money in the market, see what happens. Yeah. That's, that's my final thoughts. So my final thoughts, guys, is if I think there's two types of investors, I think, and to me, especially in the stock market, I feel like there's investors that just want to, you know, put their money somewhere and see how it does and not do a lot of work and they don't really want to understand it much. Um, an index fund is for you or something along those lines, something that, you know, does not really have a lot of research behind it in terms of understanding it you don't have to keep up with it um or maybe a mutual fund or something like that where you don't do much with it but if you want to buy individual stocks like i have begun to do the last couple years like glenn does you got to spend some time and research those companies otherwise it's like you're gambling otherwise it's like you're at the casino you're just being like oh um i like their ticker symbol we're gonna buy (laughs) you know they have a cool logo wow yeah yeah, that's a cool logo. You know, if I if the logo spoke to me that way, it probably spoke to 10 million others exactly the same. <laughs> like, do your research, understand what a PE ratio is, right? Like, make sure that you know what you're looking at, right? You want to know exactly what you're you're buying. Um, you don't want to just randomly buy stuff. Um, so, so that would be my my closing art thoughts. There, I would just say you know, learn the game a little bit. Like I, there's a YouTube channel I follow that I, I really like. I, I've kind of watched it on and off, but there's been moments like in the last couple of years where I'd watch like every video he puts out. Um, it's a guy called Finance. It runs a YouTube channel called Financial Education. Hmm. The guy's name is Jeremy. He's got like 600,000 subs and he routinely demolishes the stock market's average return. Like he is a very, very smart guy. Like when I first started starting to get into it, I actually bought his teachable course and it was like 300 bucks or something like that. And it's definitely made me more than 300 bucks in what I've learned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get into it and you're going to play in that market for, for individual stocks anyway, study up, do some research. Otherwise, it's like you're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks. I love it. All right, guys. Well, this was a fun one. This was a different one, something different. And um, we appreciate all of you watching. If you watch the replay, make sure to like, subscribe, comment your thoughts. Are we a bunch of are we a bunch of dummies? Do we not know something about stocks? Like, <laughs> we want to hear about that in the comments. Um, and we'll be back next week with Thanks. another Taco Tuesday. Adios.